Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about sleep. With TFC now venturing into other pillars of health, sleep is a big one that we're going to be focusing on. And in this episode, we wanted to just kind of introduce the topic and air out some points that we've been learning about. We talk about the consequences of poor sleep, how sleep relates to the immune system, to learning, to memory, and we finish with actionable tips on starting to improve your sleep. There will definitely be more episodes on this topic as we continue to learn, and I hope you enjoy this, this introduction to the topic. This episode is sponsored by TFC Balance Beams. Our team at TFC discovered a while back that challenging balance work can be a powerful tool to integrate the feet and hips and also re- help to restore optimal alignment. The beauty about balance work is that you don't need anyone telling you what to do. With a bit of consistency, the brain learns through problem solving how to align your joints and fire the right muscles to stop you from falling over. We make all of our ba- all of our balance beams in Canada. We powder coat them for durability, and we give you a link to a database of movements that you can challenge yourself with that go from easy to hard if you purchase a beam from us. Check out our selection of, of sizes and models at tfc-shop.com and click on the beam tab. This episode is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC in Ottawa are big fans of coffee, and this Canadian company provides a unique subscription service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind each of the craft roasters that they come from. Check out theroasterspack.com and use the foot the, the code FOOT at checkout, and you'll get seven bucks off your first month. Subscriptions start at $27 a month, all in, including shipping and taxes, so it's a pretty solid deal if you're into coffee. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality hard cases that can keep your electronics safe during travel. And you can check out their cases at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet or the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hello, TFC Nation. Nick and Mike here back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today, we're going to do our first introduction episode on sleep. Uh, our team at TFC is expanding both in the topics that we're starting to research in other pillars of health, and also in the amount of people that from around the planet that are contributing to that knowledge through the Footner program. So... There's lots more to come on this topic, and today we just wanted to have a general conversation about this insanely important pillar of health that's crucial for optimal function and that I think we know very little about, or um, at least I knew very little about until I started looking into it. Um, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today comes from Matthew Walker's work. He has a book called Why We Sleep, very powerful book. Uh, he's also been on a lot of podcasts, and there's a lot of YouTube videos um, with him, so um full credit goes to him for this info because it's his um i want to start with a quote that was in his book and this is this was really powerful for me so it says scientists have discovered a revolutionary new treatment that makes you live longer enhances your memory makes you more creative it makes you look more attractive it keeps you slim it lowers food cravings it protects you from cancer and dementia it wards off colds and flus it lowers your risk of heart attack stroke and diabetes and if you take it, you'll feel happier, less depressed, and less anxious. And this might sound like an ad for a new drug, which people would pay gobs of money for, when in fact, it's actually the description of the benefits of a full night of sleep. And it's free. And, you know, I think sleep deprivation is one of the biggest public health challenges, mostly because it flies under the radar. Right? Yeah, I would I would have to agree with that. And it's it's almost too simple. And a lot of, that's what we're seeing with a lot of these... health issues is that it's like if you just sleep it affects all of that yeah we like to complicate things and we were talking before about like part of it is we didn't really know scientifically what was going on for the longest time but at the same time we knew intuitively everyone's known for all of existence if you sleep good you feel pretty good we just didn't know how much it actually affected that's what we're starting to see now if your friend snaps you're like oh Jim didn't sleep yeah. very well. <laughs> Everybody knows, like your your mood, your um, you, you just feel like shit. Like everything goes when you don't sleep, but it affects that even more than that. From um, down to the hormonal level, actually down to the epigenetic level, which we might get into later. But um, it's one of those things, and I think he calls it the Swiss Army knife of of health. You're right. And, yeah, I was uh, just about to say that. It's that's a perfect way of putting it. Um, and we're yeah, like it just 
we're the only species on the planet that will deliberately deliberately deprive ourselves of sleep without le legitimate gain. Like we purposely stay up watching Netflix or on Instagram and sacrifice one of the most important elements of our health just for the sake of watching butts and cars on Instagram. Like it's so it's so crazy. And I think part of it is just we don't understand sleep. We have to bring sleep into the mainstream because once people understand how important it is, they then have the right information to be able to weigh the risks of sacrificing sleep based on what they now know to be the consequences of that. And and you said without legitimate gain, and some people would say, well, what if I were staying up and getting stuff done? But as we'll get into in the learning section, that's actually goes against you. So you're going to yeah. be learning way shittier. You're not going to be able to uh, consolidate memories and all this stuff if, if you try to get all this information in, for whether you're studying, doing work, whatever. So you're going to be less productive in the long run. Yeah, it's not a it's not a valid trade off when you yeah. understand how deep it goes. And, you know, I, I think one of the things he says in his book is that when you're sleep deprived, you don't know you're sleep deprived. And, you know, a question to put out there into the universe is, can you wake up without an alarm clock and not need caffeine to feel alert? Because if you can't, if you can't wake up without an alarm clock and you can't function without caffeine, guess what? You probably aren't getting a full night of sleep every night, right? You're probably sleep deprived. And I, I think sleep deprived might sound like kind of a, a harsh term of like, in, you know, some people might associate that with insomnia, but it's really just, are you sleeping less than the amount humans need to be able to recover optimally and function like a normal human? And I think a lot of people are in that state of just chronic low level sleep deprivation. So, you know, if you look at the stats, 1942, 7.9 hours of sleep on average, average? per night. Yep. Um, now, six hours, 31 minutes per night is the average. That's crazy. And so you're thinking about like, okay, well, you're still getting, people think that's the thing is people's perceptions of how much they should get. Mm -hmm. People probably think that's pretty good. Six and a half hours seven hours like even the seven hour mark that's less than you should be getting but this People six love and a half hour too. yeah like, oh bro i sleep five hours a night it's like okay that's not good that's your brain's gonna suck when you're 70 and you might notice when you get like four hours of sleep one night oh i feel like shit today but if you're chronically in this like sub threshold range yeah. you're just like you're kind of dulling everything down dulling your hormones down dulling down your learning all of the things that we'll get into later in the podcast and it's a i have a stat here it says two-thirds of adults in developed nations fail to de fail to obtain the recommended eight hours of nightly sleep and you know that number comes from the world health organization and the national S sleep foundation and you might not be surprised by that, um, but you might be surprised by three facts. And these are essentially consequences of routinely sleeping less than seven hours per night. Number one is massive immune system suppression. So if you constantly are getting sick, um, if you're constantly having problems with your systemic health, that could be a reason. Sleeping less, routinely sleeping less than seven hours a night doubles your risk of cancer. 100% more risk of developing cancer. And it also ages you 10 years in your testosterone production. So maybe you don't need dick pills. Maybe you just need to sleep. You know, That's like this is like this. Is, these are real things. And these, these are scientifically proven. This is not hearsay. This is like you can scour. I think Matthew Walker talks about how there's over 17,000 pieces of quality published literature talking about the consequences of lack of sleep and the benefits of a full night's sleep. This is not this is real stuff. And that cancer link you were, you were talking about, the World Health Organization actually just they listed shift work because of the sleep factor. They listed shift work as a, an official risk factor for, for yeah, cancer. It's now. a carcinogen. Yeah. Doing shift work. Wow. That, that is so, you know, I think a huge part of this lack of sleep awareness is the fact that we didn't really have very much knowledge on sleep, right? Like I think it was in the last 10 years, you know, doctors and scientists couldn't scientifically answer the, 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 the question, why do we sleep? Like we talked about this before, we intuitively know sleep is important because we see the consequences, or at least we should easily see the consequences when we don't sleep. Um, but it really wasn't in the mainstream, right? Like doctors get some like two hours of sleep education in all of medical school. This is been this is crazy, and it's like we couldn't. Yeah, crazy. You spend thirty years of your life doing this. It's It's a Swiss Army knife of all of health. It's the most mm -hmm. powerful tool of improving your health is just getting a full night's sleep every night, and yet we do not teach it to the people that are in charge of teaching health. It's crazy. It is. And it's, but like you say, it's almost like we're just starting to really, really get into the, you know, the, the reasons for, and we always intuitively knew, but I think it's the fact is that 
we used we we gave the stats 7.9 hours down to 6.5 hours so during the time that we've been actually gaining knowledge on sleep is the exact is that the exact same time we've been starting to sleep less and less and that i think that's coincided with the during that time the industrial revolution technology uh explosions exponentially so it's almost like oh shit we're now beginning to know this is how important it is but now it's the hardest ever to ever sleep you're right so it's because yeah. of the society we set up and the culture we set up and technology and the way the world works these days. And like you say, the artificial lights, it's everything that's made it so hard. And now is actually the hardest time ever to mm. actually sleep. But I think, so, and on the flip side of that technology, like podcasts, for example, the amount of knowledge that I was able to consume from Matthew Walker's book and all of his podcasts that he's done. He was on Rogan. He was on Rhonda Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it gives you this very powerful access to information where now if you want to learn about sleep guess what you can learn about it super easily and you can learn about it from literally the guy who's devoted his life and is the i'd say he would be considered the expert on sleep and we're even going to look into trying to get matthew walker on the academic advisory board for the footner program i tried to look him up apparently he's on sabbatical right now but you know this guy is just a weapon of knowledge and i think he's called the sleep diplomat on twitter i don't think he has instagram um but there is a lot of information out there if you want to consume it but i think the the fact of the matter is a lot of people are addicted to technology and it's actually one of the biggest factors driving people to sleep less and less driving people to be more and more anxious so technology just inundation with it is is really messing with other aspects of our health as well right and they did this rocky mountain sleep study i don't know if you heard that um in one of his podcasts but they basically said okay what would people sleep like if we just put them they actually brought them to the mountains and they said okay let's take away all technology take away everything take away stimulants artificial light what do people put them in a cabin what do they sleep like? So people, subjects increased um, over time to, they averaged out about a nine hour sleep cycle um, and they started sleeping longer and longer throughout the week. So by the end, they were, they were averaging around nine hours um, and, and they, they were actually to going to bed earlier and yeah. they, were, um, they were waking up earlier as well. So they were kind of just normalized over mm-hmm. time once you removed everything. And it's like, okay, that's how we should be doing it. You remove everything, remove Instagram, remove all this technology yeah. that, that people have. So it shows you that I if you that just- I felt in Costa Rica. Did you for feel sure. that? Yeah. Because you're, you're in the jungle you're not you're, there's no wi-fi in the rooms which i think is very powerful and very good for that resort for that um facility to do because you don't have the option to browse instagram on your phone you don't and i we, you know we would read at the <laughs> i remember we would both bust out books before bed like 10 minutes in we're like screw this i'm yeah. I'm, I'm toast i can't even focus so you're naturally very very tired um when you abide by kind of this in, through this natural environment we take away technology that's a very I never even thought about it in that context, but the more we have more access to, inform- to information about sleep, and yet technology is making it more and more difficult to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's such a catch-22. So it's like, you know, that's why the Footner program is getting into sleep as a pillar that we're going to teach workshops on, including it in our two-day, because it's so important. And mm-hmm. like, no one's dumbing it down to a level that is still powerfully informational, but understandable, and no one's getting this information from any other health professional. Like it's, it's, and it's it a should big be something that void. If you're dealing with people's health, as we've seen, it's so broad the effects that it has that it doesn't matter what kind of health profession you are, you should be touching on it. Yeah. If you're a physical therapist, if you're obviously a psychologist or in a mental health or a psychiatrist, anyone that helps any family doctor, anybody. Yep. Like if I you're agree. a trainer, doesn't even matter because it's all. And I was listening to Ben Pakulski. Um, on one of uh, on a podcast recently, and he was saying he, so he with his training clients and with clients who who go to him, the the first pillar of, of of his system is sleep because he's he basically said nothing else sticks if we don't touch on sleep. Yes, Ben, powerful. So so then that is that's one of the biggest things, and it's touching every um, athletics right. If you're dealing with professional athletes, um, I was listening to Andy Galpin on a recent podcast as well, and he was saying when he sees UFC fighters, when he sees professional athletes basics 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 and he's like often you almost have to go back and treat them like kids like are you getting your sleep and oftentimes <laughs> it's like holy shit they're not even getting like they're getting six hours of sleep and they're trying to be the best in the world that's so you increase that and it's like whoa that's the big but they're looking for all this complicated shit they're like what can you help me do you're a scientist like what, what are you going to do for me sleep two hours more that's what it is right yeah they're um, like what that's uh, i'm not paying you for that it's like well that's actually the best thing for you so it's almost <laughs> like it, it's it's every Everybody needs it and everybody should be talking about it. And it says, well, yeah, we talked about that. Like, I wish, imagine the first day in orientation in physio school. The first thing you cover is sleep. Number one, it emphasizes the fact that sleep is important for everyone you're going to treat. 
And number two, how about teaching us that sleep's friggin' important so that you don't deprive yourself of it in order to study? Because as we get into the learning and memory part, your brain sucks at learning and forming memories when you're sleep deprived. And yet that's the first thing people do to sacrifice when they're trying to cram for an exam or cram for a test is you deprive yourself of sleep, but it's so counterproductive. You know, I think I would have been way more better slept and actually would have learned way more if we learned about sleep in physio school. Well, let's, let's delve into that because I think that you're right. All we, we go to school for multiple years and nobody teaches us how to learn now, that's a whole other topic, but learning is predicated on sleep. So I think that should be a topic that everybody learns in, in every grade, right? It's almost like you need to go home because maybe the kids are all the, the only ones getting the information, right? So maybe it's maybe it's it needs to be it needs to be taught at younger and younger ages. But I think that you just need to be you need to be sleeping to in order to learn and sleep is when you actually consolidate memories and it's actually where you're allowed to where you you learn your best so matthew walker talks about you need it on both ends in order to actually learn stuff you need an active hippocampus and that's actually how you actually learn so if you if you go into a study session let's say mm-hmm. and you're already deprived of sleep then you won't learn that new information. But then on the back end, if you don't sleep after that study session, you're not going to consolidate those memories and fo- and uh, basically put it into that long-term memory. Um, and you talked about that file storage um, Yeah, yeah. Matthew Walker talks about how you need to, you, like you said, you need sleep. Well, I was while you were saying that, I was trying to look up. I heard LeBron James sleeps like 12 hours a night. And I th- I'm pretty sure that's true. I'm trying to fact check that and make sure it's legit. But on the you know when you're talking about Andy Galpin and pro athletes like yeah. LeBron James is a weapon and he says sleep is one of his most powerful tools to make sure that he can actually perform and mm-hmm. I think he sleeps like somewhere between nine and twelve hours a night which is shock in like a fully blacked out room with zero electronics like mm-hmm. that dude knows what's up and I think that's a big part of why he's able to do what he does like maybe he needs to work on a squat and his feet a little bit I'll be the first to say um, but. But he sleeps, and that's massive. That's he's got. He's locked down the Swiss Army knife of health and recovery and performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to that learning and memory. Yeah. So Ma- Matthew Walker talks about how you need sleep before in order to um, basically prime your brain for learning, right? To get it ready to be able to consume information. And then this whole file transfer system was very cool. He says basically, we have like, um, you know, you have this short-term memory storage in your brain. It's like a USB drive, and it's got a limited amount of storage. You got a 16 gig or let's call it 16 hour USB drive in your brain. When you consume information, you fill that USB drive. And when you sleep at night, you basically take the USB drive and you empty it and you transfer those files into long-term storage. Let's call it like an external hard drive. And so if you don't get sleep, two things happen. Number one, and you know the external hard drive is where the memories are protected and they're kind of sealed in. So they're like saved for good. So the memories become safe. If you sleep, it goes from the USB drive into long-term hard drive storage, so the memories are safe. Um, If you don't sleep, not only do you not transfer those files, so they're in this very fragile kind of portable USB that's only designed for temporary storage, you don't put those into deep memory, but you also wake up, you know, you also end up the next day with a full USB drive, not capable of taking in new information. Mm-hmm. So not only do you not solidify memories, but you also mess yourself up to not be able to consume more information the next day because that that temporary storage is still full. So like learning and memory, you basically, your, your brain's shit at learning if you don't sleep because the whole mechanism behind how memories are formed and how learning happens is completely vetoed um, if you if you don't actually sleep. And I finally, I think for me, I learned that by the end of my, the very end. (laughs) So like we had to learn ourselves that, that, and again, intuitively, intuitively, I learned that I've performed best on exams when I can, you know, I do my studying beforehand I'm prepared and then I know, okay, the night before, okay, I'm prepared. So I'm going to like, you know, maybe go to the gym, relax a little bit, Mm -hmm. watch TV, just do something like calm because I know I learned it. And then I can get a good sleep and then I'm going to be fresh. And then I'm gonna, But then you see people to the very edge, like, you know, med students, people in our physio class, like all nighters. And it's like you see that from undergrad all the way through. Mm. And I used to do that more in undergrad. I wouldn't pull. All, I was never the one to do all nighters. Me neither. It, it was, I just I found just it found stupid it was, because especially in the middle of exams, it's like, well, you're just going to feel like shit. And then you're <laughs> going to try to, again, study for the next exam. Yeah. But I would stay up 
later and I'd stay up till like 1, 2 a.m. sometimes if I needed to cram. But even that was going against me and, and going against most people. And, and you're going to see that like at every university, this all-nighter thing. It's like, yeah. oh, let's go to the library. Let's study all night. And you, there was like... Marco was terrible for that. <laughs> and I guarantee half the time he was on Facebook. He wasn't, and he'd show up to like an exam the next day, bags under his eyes, like boys, I was studying all night. It's like okay, yeah, people's actual <laughs> productivity when they're studying—that's a—that's a whole different story. But forty percent less ability to learn new information was one this one all-nighter study talked about um, when you're studying all night. So you actually aren't really learning new information that all that well when you when you are putting in those hours. So yeah, like you can be reading but you're not actually absorbing and learning and being able to retrieve those memories. So it's so, and I agree towards the end of uh, physio school, I kind of learned that instead of doing four extra hours of studying, like right to the brim the night before a test, I would just cut it off at like 6 PM. And I would just say, I'm not going to open or look at a book after 6 PM because I, I realized that whatever I did between like six and midnight, I never I never actually absorbed it. And it was the least productive study time. I would always reach for food. I would always want to reach for novelty, you know, but it social also media. makes you more nervous too because studying to the very end is almost, it creates this like anxious state. Yeah. And as we know, anxiety is a biggest, one of the biggest factors in insomnia and not being able to sleep. But if you just like tell yourself, I'm prepped, it's almost this like weight and load off your shoulders. Yeah. And then the next day, again, like walking into an exam, there'd be people like looking at their books, like <laughs> as they enter the room and it's like, just know that you're good. Like yeah. know that this is the way it is. You've yeah, studied exactly. it. That's it. And then you actually, that's the thing. You perform way better when you are in that state. I used to so, love to not be like when we went to exams, people would always be like, oh, did you study this? Or did you study this? I used to love to just stroll in like two minutes before the exam, walk into the room, sit down, do my exam. I didn't like to be around people that were just... It makes you nervous. Yeah. The people are so anxious and like questioning their knowledge. It's like, guys, you've if you've done the studying, you're not going to do anything by staring at a piece of paper of one single fact of a thousand that really has very little bearing on how you're going to do on this exam. And yet people... I think physio school is... is the whole process of accepting people into that program is so broken. You get the smart, the most book smart people ever that have zero knowledge of communication and like just <laughs> people are so type A and so used to getting A plus in everything that they do that anything short of that is a failure. And it's not the right mentality to have when you go into school. Number one, because a lot of the information is just bullshit that you have to memorize. It's not really information you use. And two, it's like, the anxiety that they create for themselves by putting that pressure on themselves is actually way more harmful um, to their health I think you overall. Can say that about a lot of fields as well. Yeah, um, you're right, uh, including like medicine and probably which is probably uh, one of the worst for that in, yeah. in terms of. But that's again the whole other topic. But so that the learning piece, get your sleep. You're going to learn better, and that yeah. goes day to day too. You're just your performance if you're not a student. Your performance at work your performance on projects that you're doing, all of this is you're going to get better long-term output, better productivity, uh, and as we mentioned, even creativity and other things like that, filtering into your work if you just get that sleep. So, And schools teach sleep yes. as like one of the first things that you teach your students. It will allow them to be better students and learn more, and it will also ensure that their health isn't sacrificed by trying to trying to study and consume this material. Like it will make them better at studying and it will make them healthier. This is, it's your obligation as a health education institution to teach the people you're teaching about sleep. And I think it needs to be done. Start times. There was a school system in Minnesota that actually switched their start time from 7.25 a.m., which is crazy early. To Especially eight, for kids who are to, yeah. at that age should actually be waking up later. To eight, they switch it to 8.30 a.m. And, and then they monitored uh, test scores and also SAT scores and and they looked at um, both of them increased and the SAT scores increased by like 220 points, I believe. That's just 45 um, minutes too. Like, that's, that's, yeah, that's uh, crazy. there was another school system that did the same thing. They switched it from like 730 to like 855 or something. So it's just like, that's basic too, because if you, if you assume that it's going to be hard for people to get to sleep before a certain hour, then making them wake up for... 7 30 or whatever and that's that's well, like you're when you start school, yeah so, it's probably like, like 5 30 or 6 they're waking up that's the tough part is like when i schedule patients as a as a physical therapist i some days i'm there for uh 7 20 and some days like yesterday i started at 7 because i mm -hmm. i took somebody um so i now i know it's like i have to like i was in bed by by nine o'clock the mm -hmm. night before you have to be and 
now because I used to always kind of those days would almost throw your week off because then you'd start at seven and then you'd be kind of running around after that you'd be tired after that so you wouldn't be as productive you just almost yeah. feel like going to bed you'd you just keep kind of moseying around and yeah you almost have to really go out of your way now to get yourself to bed at a certain time and it's a very challenging but you have to set your schedule up around sleep you don't and, you don't you don't set yeah sleep up around your schedule you prioritize it prioritize it yeah and Matthew Walker had a great thing he's like a lot of people have an alarm clock to wake up but what most people should have is an alarm clock to go to bed. Have an alarm that tells you when you need to go to bed because that's way more important, right? That's this true. whole thing of regularity. If you have an alarm clock that tells you when to go to bed and you have good sleep, you know, uh, behaviors around the time you sleep, guess what? You probably won't even need an alarm clock to wake up because your body will just wake up after a, a restful, complete night of sleep. That's the thing. So uh, you want to talk about sleep in the immune system? Yeah. So I think that's... This is a big one. That's this big. Is huge. So sleep in the immune system is... And again, one of those intuitive things, like what are the first, what's the first thing that somebody says when you get sick? Oh, you better, you know, take a nap, go, go sleep, get a good sleep tonight. You're going to sleep yeah. it off. All of these other things. So we know, and we've known for years, but now it's like, whoa, what, what's actually going on? Um, so, and by the way, the immune system takes into account, um, you know, I think when you say immune system, people are like, oh yeah, you're going to get a cold if your immune system's down. Well, how about cancer? Because that has a huge bearing. How about um, in terms of just like health and the immune system how about your ability to fight nasty diseases how about your ability to not get alzheimer's and dementia like these are all kind of encompassed under this banner of the immune system yeah so the one study showed that one hour of sleeping four hours per night so they like so i've just just got one shitty night of sleep yeah they uh had a 70 percent reduction in these natural killer cells which are immune cells that actually function as like global killers for any foreign invaders in your immune system so things like like you mentioned colds flus all of that but also other potential invaders but even just like the cold and flu like you you, you see the people who are always sick well why yeah. are you always sick yeah so you gotta that's ask yourself speak. yeah well, what's going on so clearly your immune system is compromised because that's what's the biggest thing preventing you from getting sick so why is your immune system compromised yeah and now as we find out sleep is the biggest factor in why your immune system is compromised mm-hmm. um and we know this it's like you why you can always trace it back like hindsight's always 2020 but whenever i get sick it like i like to think it happens less and less these days but whenever i get sick i always look back and be like ah like it's almost i don't want to like blame myself for it but it's like i see why that happened yeah i slept you know, six hours or five hours or i had an early flight to catch i was on a plane i was run down mm-hmm. i was grinding too hard whatever it was yeah there's but usually you, a perfect storm there's always you can identify yeah like, but i, I think it. a lot of people are going around not know they're almost caught up in it and they don't know that there's a they don't know that they're like i always get sick or they're always sick or they're always in this like crazy state where they're unaware of why they're getting sick and they're and a lot of it is this chronic low-level sleep deprivation that they're running around with or mm-hmm. insomnia or, or just or high-level sleep deprivation, and they're always getting sick. You shouldn't be getting sick. You, you really should, shouldn't be getting sick. I've been on a cold sick. in so long, yeah. and, it's, and it's only since I kind of learned how to you know better manage stress or make sure to prioritize sleep and like just have a better understanding of health. Guess what? You don't get sick as much. You don't feel yeah. like shit as much. You feel more energized. And you know I think it's this whole thing of like people like to say that, oh, I have insomnia. It's like... Well, do you have insomnia like clinically or do you just have a shitty understanding of like good sleep hygiene behaviors? Because I think most of the time it's the second one. Well, the other part of it, though, is like Matthew Walker was talking about the anxiety linked to insomnia is massive. So so if we talk about like autonomic nervous system and then back to technology and everyone's addicted to it. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like we need to get people off of their phones and we need to deal with these underlying issues autonomic nervous system function is something that a lot of people have no clue about either and it's right underneath that sleep component is 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 autonomic dysfunction if if you're in a stressed state and you're in a sympathetic state especially right before bed guess what you're not going to sleep you're just not going to (laughs) sleep and everyone knows when you're thinking about something that's on your mind you're going through relationship troubles or whatever something's on your mind you don't sleep well and but but what you do with somebody going through chronic anxiety, that happens every night. So you're not sleeping. You're never sleeping well. <laughs> exactly. So, so you need to deal with... And like, the lack of sleep contributes to more anxiety. That's it. Then you're anxious, so it's harder to get to sleep. It's like this yeah. vicious circle that we just got to punch people out of. That's, that's not it. Not physically, but just like bump them out of that cycle so that they can get outside of it. Well, that, that's let's talk about that because I think the the emotional... What happens, and that was an interesting aspect of it. So the... 
what happens when we're sleep deprived is the the emotional center in our brain actually doesn't have anything to dampen it. So mm-hmm. so we look at the yeah, pre- we're more reactive. Yeah, the prefrontal cortex is like our higher higher level brain function, um, and that's kind of that control center. But that gets dampened um, and blood gets shunted away from it when we're sleep deprived. So basically, this, the emotional center, the amygdala, which is one of the primary emotional centers in the brain, um, that has nothing to tell it to stop. So everything that is kind of an alarm bell for you mm-hmm. when you're sleep deprived is is not getting shut down and you're, you're feeling the effects of that. So you're, you're going to physiologically feel the effects of that too. Your blood pressure, your, your, the state of your body is actually going to be ramped up more or it's going to be the fight or flight system, or it's just going to be thrown around. You're going to go up, you're going to go down. You're going to have all this emotional liability because you're not going to have anything kind of controlling me like, no, it's okay. Like, this is just this. Mm -hmm. So, so you take that away and then, then you, we wonder why everyone's so reactive and, and, emotional emotionally driven when we say somebody's emotional it means that they're not managing their emotional system well yeah they're not controlling their emotions what's controlling their emotions the prefrontal cortex what's shut off when you don't sleep your prefrontal cortex so nothing's there to kind of manage your emotions and then this feeds right into that anxiety too because that's um, an unregulated amygdala equals anxiety it equals yeah. stress i've seen <laughs> so it's, you know i've been spending a good amount of time in airports lately with traveling for seminars and stuff you see pods of humans that are just zomb- lizards, b- zombies with lizard brains, basically, is the way I say it. Mm-hmm. Like, one thing happens. Oh, sir, you got to measure your bag to make sure it fits in the carry-on. What? I use this bag all... Like, people yeah. just snap. It's oh, like, dude, sure. you need sleep. You need to separate yeah. yourself from your freaking cell phone for two days. And guess what? Your whole life will be better. And an airport is probably the primary way to see that because most people are exactly. sleeper five when you go there. So yeah. it's like the circadian no one wants to be up. there. You're yeah. in a place you don't want to be. Plus, you're sleep deprived. You're going to react, and that's why there's so much bullshit going oh, on in the airport. Man, so you just feel bad for people. You're like, this person doesn't know why they're so fired up. Why they're so... and and the shitty thing is like that guy was nasty to the flight person who's only doing their job, but yeah. he made that person's day shittier. Like people, I think a big way to make people nicer which is like you know niceness is like this massive element that if there was a bit more of it in the world everything would be better um and i think you're you're more harsh you're more um your emotional centers are sharper where you react more overtly you don't think about what you're doing before you do it when you're sleep deprived and when we know that pretty much everyone is sleep deprived well it's no wonder people are shitty to each other it's like we just need a good night's sleep yeah literally it's part that's a big part of the solution and then you need to train yeah good night's sleep combined with just being more conscious and being conscious means like you're thinking about things the situation you have that little moment of instead of react there's that quote by like victor victor frankl is like, like use that space between uh, stimulus and, and reaction like you need to use that space more to your yeah, advantage so more time there i think uh, i think that's a big thing and that and that kind of filters into all of this mental men, these mental health issues that sometimes they're just low level anxieties that we have um but then they can feed into more clinical mental health issues uh and it's all stemming from one of the major causes being being sleep and if you look at what matthew walker said is like there's not one mental illness that doesn't have sleep deprivation uh, as one of its um, major driving major components. major components uh, or yeah. correlating factors with it, and you so, wonder, you really want to wonder, like, okay, we know what the rehab world is like, and it's in it's it's not in a good place right now. It's got huge potential for improvement. We know the medical system is like that. You wonder how much, like, you wonder how many people walk into a psychologist's office, they get a diagnosis, they get given pills, and then that's it. You wonder how many of those people are actually talking about sleep because yeah. I don't think it's many of them. I well, I think it's just it's, it's as hard bad. to say. It's it's hard to say because yeah, they have known. Um, I I think I know people that never had a sleep conversation with someone they went to for with uh, to get help for mental illness. I yeah. know, like, and that's a small survey. It's a small sample group, but I I don't. But even it, like, yeah, it can. I don't think it's knows, a conversation. Who knows? And. And also, like I would say, link. I would also link family doctors into that too, because if you're yeah. dealing with like the broad spectrum of what people would come into you for, um, I know certain people too, who that would, like you said, that was never mentioned, and I, mm-hmm. I can think of them in the, on the top of my head right now that were chronically anxious, chronically sleep deprived, always getting sick. You know who who we're talking about, yeah. um, and you ask them, and then then you turn into their health coach. It's almost yeah. like, did they talk about sleep? Did they talk about like diet? That's the whole other part of it, but. 
No, there was no mention of this. It's like you say, it's the pill right away. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's the sleeping pill, which as we know that that's not, that's actually the worst thing you can yeah, do for somebody. you're sedating yourself, you're not sleeping. Because then again, you're not addressing the root cause. Why are you not sleeping well? Is it because you're anxious? It's all of these things. So it's all this, we need to get at this root cause approach and stop throwing sleeping pills, even if we do address the sleep as an issue. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that, a lot of people do go to their doctors for sleep issues. I can't sleep well, right? I'm not sleeping well, and, but we yeah. don't we don't know how to deal with it. And here here is the biggest void that I see us being able to fill is okay. You go to your doctor, even if the doc knows that sleep is friggin' important. You're not sleeping. I'm gonna prescribe you. You know, you need to sleep better. You come in, the doc's like, wow, alarm bells are going off. It's like this person doesn't sleep very well. They're showing all the signs. They're always getting sick. All everything we just mentioned, and and then the doctor says, okay, well, you need to improve your sleep. You need to sleep more. Which is a great piece of advice, but it's not given as like a nailed down concrete prescription. It's not, I'm going to give you a prescription. If you don't use this prescription, you're going to keep getting worse and you're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. That prescription is eight hours of sleep. For sure. Right? So it's not seriously talked about. Say It's just like someone comes in, they're all broken down, their hips are stiff as shit and they, their knees are breaking down saying like, okay, you sit too much. Great. That's or the root cause. Or you might want to... Uh, sometimes people, doctors would be like, you might want to lose a, some some weight. It's just like touching around it. Yeah. And that's for different reasons. But same thing. It's like, no, you need to lose weight. Yeah. The reason why. exactly. Like, and then even if it's emphasized. So even if you're like, you you need to lose weight or it's literally the, a very big danger to your health or you sit too much or you need to sleep more. No further advice is given on how to create a system to ensure people meet that goal. Right. They're not saying go here and you'll get sleep hygiene tips. You'll get a systematic way of improving your sleep one small steps at a time and that's really what we want to do with the tfc app is give people an algorithm of like this is the starting point small things don't look at a screen now before you go to bed that's the first thing to try and then go here and then go here and we'll talk about at the end of this podcast sleep tips that you can implement right away in whatever capacity you want but they they need to emphasize the importance and make sure the patient understands that and then they need to provide you know, it's not the doctor that's going to give them all these tips, but the doctor needs to have a resource that they can believe in that mm. that is free. So it's accessible to everyone that can give people true health education and help them create a system. It's not the goal that matters. It's creating a system to meet that goal. Exactly. And that's I think that's one of the most exciting things about this this app that we're trying to build out is give people systems and give it to everyone for free. Mm. Um, it's going to be powerful, I think. That's the thing. So and then and sometimes it, you need to work through it over time mm-hmm. it's not going to be it's not just going to happen yeah it's like, not all or none it's like gradually getting better it's a it's it's going to take you probably months years and potentially even decades like it people to don't like to hear that habits hear that yeah. yeah so to to become really i wouldn't say maybe decades but years probably years. like it's taken yeah. me years to st- Even like and to I'm, understand I don't breath like, it's taking yeah. me like a long time <laughs> and I, I still yeah you're right and i don't like where i'm at even with sleep now i know that i need to improve my habits yeah. still but you're aware of it but i'm aware of it and then other things like i think just touching on these chemicals that we put in our bodies that mm-hmm. affect sleep so i'm looking at it right now caffeine being one of the major ones and, and i know that use drug looking back i had a big problem with caffeine especially back in the school days. And I like looking back, it's just like ignorance. It's, yep. it's searching for energy. It's like me at the library at 9 PM with a large coffee in my hand, <laughs> wondering why I can't sleep that night at, yeah. at midnight, which is already too late. It's like, but if so, you knew the information, you wouldn't have done that. This is like information no. and, and emphasis on the importance of this information is the limiting step. It is. It's a weird one because it is, but then also people, you see them still searching for energy. Yeah. Like it's just, I don't know. It, like it's, it's, it's both. And, and I think that, so stimulants being one of them, like we search for caffeine all day long. And the, the ironic part is we search for it to make up for the sleep that we're already lacking. And then so it, it prevents into optimal that. sleep. <laughs> it's like, like what we've been talking about, these feed forward, these feedback loops that actually just go out of control. And then, then it's harder and harder to get control of them. The other one being, alcohol and i know that for me even to this day on weekends i don't sleep as well and what do we do on weekends i don't drink heavy but i'll have a few drinks Mm -hmm. and i know that that's one of the biggest components and like compound that with maybe staying out a bit later than you would Mm -hmm. versus like a monday or tuesday and it's like okay now we've got a recipe for maybe it just took me to like a six hour sleep but then i feel shitty and then i have to make up for it i feel shitty again so again that feeds into the next week so i think that 
we don't have to live perfect lives all the time, but just knowing what affects you so you can kind of regulate it. And that's another piece of the puzzle. You could say, well, never drink alcohol because it affects sleep. Well, I still like alcohol, so I'm going to yeah. still have it. I'm going to regulate how much I drink yeah. and I'm going to kind of plan ahead. So I'm still maybe in bed at a good time, even though I'm, uh, I'm having a few glasses of wine or whatever. And I would always do these. I would always think about that and I would almost try and do experiments. It's like part of me knew, kind of thought i wonder if it's the lack of sleep that makes me feel shittier after going out or if it's the alcohol yeah and you know you, you try a couple experiments where you're like okay i'm still gonna have some a couple drinks but i'm gonna go to bed early mm-hmm. and i did not feel near as shitty you know well number one the amount of beverage alcoholic beverages i had basically now i know it if it seriously affected my sleep so if i had like a yeah. couple beers and i got a good night's sleep or a good length of time of sleep yeah the alcohol would have affected my sleep but the fact that I was in bed and I didn't consume a whole lot of alcohol made me feel great the next day. But it's a double whammy because you you also you're right because the alcohol also affects your sleep as yeah. Matthew Matthew Archer pointed out. So it actually almost it's like a sedative, so it'll actually not get you the your appropriate sleep cycles and your deep sleep and your REM sleep and all of that. Yeah. But like you say, I think it's a double whammy because you have generally alcohol is consumed on weekends at places that are you're out later, and then generally, yeah. <laughs> especially when you're a student, you're staying out really late. Like you're closing the bar down at two a.m., <laughs> three a.m. You're yeah. going for food after you get to bed. Like I remember those days, you'd get to bed at like four a.m. sometimes. Um, with a bunch of drinks in you and then you'd wake up and you, you'd feel like a different person the next day you'd be like you'd be de- like honestly depressed and for then sure you'd feel like you're like what mental illness feels like and yeah. and it's and it would happen like weekend after weekend and <laughs> you think we'd learn and uh, and like the part fun. of it is like that you go through those those periods of time in your life and it is fun and i will still at the time it's fun at the time it's fun but it's just i think that it's like a rite of passage yeah, but I think that if you look at the average person's day, a lot of people will consume that one or two glasses of wine, ooh, sometimes three glasses of wine. It's a Wednesday, it's a Thursday. So you, <laughs> it's you, a Wednesday. Yeah, it's like it creeps in earlier and earlier into the week. But having that as another thing people reach to alcohol for is actually the sedative effects of the alcohol, which mm-hmm. they think help them sleep, but actually affects their sleep. And then I was talking to Paul about this recently, and he's like, I actually feel... Worse when I have like when I go to hockey and I and I and I have like two pints or something after the after the hockey game and he's like just I'll still sleep but it's just I just for some reason I actually feel worse then versus having like five beers hmm. six beers so so a lot of people are kind of always like always having drinks every single day and that's one of the biggest things that maybe is contributing to their sleep too it's mm-hmm. mal it's multifaceted yeah and then if you know there's other drugs that people will the sleeping pill epidemic is 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 huge as well and as we know those are just pure sedatives and they're not going to actually allow you to have a restorative sleep and the first thing people do is get sleep drugs for for that so yeah it's crazy i think it's you can't there's no free lunch you cannot replace a night of true sleep in any way shape or form right like you can't you can't smoke cannabis and think it's gonna give you a good night's sleep you can't drink alcohol and think it's a nightcap to put you to bed because it does sedate you like it knocks you out but it doesn't allow you to it impedes on accessing the important parts of sleep which are the different phases and and the healing and restoring effects of each of these phases and you know back to this whole sleep and the immune system i think two of the nastiest diseases today are cancer and dementia and both are heavily related to inadequate sleep and just to talk about you know dementia and specifically alzheimer's like this is something when someone gets alzheimer's it is a life-shattering disease right because it it affects your relationships with loved ones that some people don't even recognize like their own um kids which is like this is crazy it's crazy damaging and the rate of all these things is going up significantly so you know i think and it's a spectrum and it starts progressively early and progressively so yeah. people think like you just oh you know you don't wake up with alzheimer's all one day. The peop- yeah and it's like no, no this was going on years and years this has been years in the making and one of the biggest factors involved as we're now seeing is is asleep so and, and when you look at those stats it's not surprising that alzheimer's and dementia is going up when sleep as a whole is going down mm-hmm. and i think one of the things that matthew walker talks about is that a big portion of sleep has to do with essentially doing a clean out of your brain right your cerebral mm-hmm. spinal fluid this fluid that bathes your spinal cord in your brain this is a fluid that has its own system of cleaning out the junk so when you use your brain you create these metabolites these byproducts it's like exhaust from a car that float around in that cerebral spinal fluid and each night is an opportunity to basically do a full clean out and you know like if you think about how much the brain consumes it's it's about 20 
percent it's about two percent of the the actual weight of your body volume of your body um but it, it consumes about 20 percent of the energy yeah, and so where's that powerhouse where's that energy going like you say there, it's got there's there's metabolites that are that are burnt so and we think of our i like how we call it the glymphatic system because we have our lymphatic system that helps us clear up metabolites from our from our muscles and all the energy burnt throughout our body mm-hmm. cellular metabolism but we we never knew what well, what goes on in the brain? We're burning so much energy in the brain. And this yeah. is actually where, where sleep comes into play. And these, these glial cells, which are nerve cells in the brain, they actually shrink in size. And then that's when the cerebral final fluid can come in and just mm-hmm. do its flushing, um, its flushing job. And that is like a, that's a nightly thing. And this buildup of waste products over time is actually being linked to these like plaques and well, tablets what, that are being formed. That's what I was going to say. One of those waste products is amyloid protein. Mm-hmm. And the accumulation of this toxic form of this protein called beta amyloid is what's responsible for creating plaques and that's the mechanism for alzheimer's development so if you don't sleep and you don't get this cleansing effect in your cerebral spinal fluid each night you tend to accumulate all these nasty beta amyloid plaques or beta amyloid proteins which if they get laid down as plaques creates alzheimer's and starts to essentially latch onto and damage parts of your brain you know memory parts or processing parts um and so you know if you don't sleep and you don't get that filtration process, guess what? Your risk of dementia skyrockets. And this is something that I think it's only very recent that that like direct scientific connection has been made. But the amount of people that are getting dementia, like what's the, our, our lifespan has increased. Our health span is severely decreased. What's the point of living the last 20 years of your life if you're like a zombie that doesn't even recognize other humans, can't move and just shrivels into like oblivion? Like it's not worth it. And we have to focus less on lifespan on keeping people alive longer and more on what's the quality of the life that they live. Like this is would, very important. And I would even take that back to any age. I think we need to concentrate on how do you feel on a daily basis? Yeah. It's not just the people who are. That's what in, gets you there. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, we, we, as humans, we always like to look into the future and we always like to think it's going to be you know better in the future. I'm doing this now. So the future will be better. How about like, let's maximize every, every day by trying to, to feel our best. And it sounds cliche, but it's what needs to happen. And the fact that your mood and everything that we've talked about so far, you, the state you're in is just all better when you sleep and you know it, everybody knows it. Who's listening. Um, let's just live every day better and just feel better because it's the mm-hmm. present day that that's the only thing that really matters yeah we're all caught up in this future oh am i gonna get alzheimer's like it's like how about just have a good day do the and right do that today. again tomorrow exactly and do then the right learn. thing every day yeah and then learn from your as long as again it, it's like you're aware the awareness piece is huge it's like if you have to catch an early flight you can almost as long as you're aware of like I don't feel the best today, but I, I know that one of the contributing factors is the fact that I had to catch an early flight. So I can chalk up my bad mood and the fact that I'm feeling like crap to the fact that I did that. And then it allows me to at least kind of rationalize a little bit where we love to rationalize, but at least it's helpful in knowing mm-hmm. that I'm just not caught in this this like shit storm of feeling like crap and I yeah. don't know why it's happening. And unfortunately, a lot of people are caught up in that. I don't know why this is all happening to me. I don't want I'm getting all sick all the time. Life's crazy. I'm in a shitty mood all the time. Yeah. But it's all because of not it's not all because of sleep, but it, one of the biggest factors throughout all of it is sleep. So and it and like, you know, there are times like we catch flights where sometimes it's not a good situation, right? Mm-hmm. Your your circadian rhythms getting messed up. You're going through time zones. Uh, you're not going to have a good sleep because you're on a plane. And, you know, in those cases, I've kind of learned. So two things. Number one, feel like you're in control of the other parts. So like if you're you slept shitty, you have an early flight, you spent you were crammed into a plane. Well, I'm going to do I'm going to prioritize a good movement session to open up my joints so I don't feel as shitty and kind of buckled down in terms of my mobility. Number two, I'm going to make sure that if I eat food, it's going to be really good food. Because I don't want to put an extra burden of my body having to process super shitty food on top of being underslept. And then the and that's next, hard to do too because you, hard to you do. want, well, when you're sleep deprived, you want yeah, and we'll carbs, talk, you want talk, sugar. Let's talk about weight loss and like what sleep does to your appetite hormones right after this. Mm-hmm. But I'll make sure I'm eating well. I'll prioritize sleep and healthy movement and good breath. Like try and get every other element in my life to be to be optimized in terms of health to try and make up for the fact you know it can't counterbalance it but it can definitely help me it could be the difference maker between getting uh sick or not getting sick if all the other stuff gets blasted up in terms of how much i'm prioritizing them because i can't affect this one thing that i have to do no matter what Mm -hmm. which is 
not getting as good a sleep as I would want to because I'm either sleeping in a hotel or um, or, or just in general moving f- uh, or um, flying, traveling. It's just, it can be a perfect storm if you're not, you know, to get sick and to really have everything be bad. Like if you're traveling to teach, guess what? <laughs> like that's hard shit sometimes because you're underslept, you're feeling shitty, you're not in your normal routine and then you're expected to do a six bring hour the, performance. Bring the energy. You're expected mm-hmm. to bring the energy and talk about health when you just did something super unhealthy. Like it's mm-hmm. so it, it really that's a catch twenty two definitely of teaching internationally is like you really have to be aware. You know, if you get sick, you you're not fit to teach health because if you're there sniffling, sick, got bags under your eyes, and you're like, we should be sleeping. It's like, well, dude, you're what? This doesn't make sense. There's, um, and let's talk about appetite. So, I th- listening to Matthew Walker talk about sleep and appetite, and even reading the part in his book, I think. Any weight loss conversation or fat loss conversation has to involve sleep. Mm-hmm. It has to. It's not just, you know, we always talk about how weight loss happens in the kitchen, not in the gym. But I think I've learned, slowly learned more and more. Weight loss also happens in in the bed mm-hmm. because, well, number one, if you're sleeping, you're not eating. But if you're underslept, it messes with your um, appetite hormones. And the two biggest ones are leptin, which is the hormone that's in charge of you feeling full. So you eat a meal, you start to emit leptin. And it makes you feel the sense of, I ate a meal, I'm full, I'm satisfied. And then you have ghrelin, which is like this opposite hormone, which is in charge of hunger. So if you have ghrelin going through your body, you're seeking food. You're looking for food. You're hungry. The food gremlin. The food gremlin. Yeah, Matthew Walker talks about how they sound like hobbits or gremlin names. So when you're sleep deprived, you know, sub six hours, you get this dysregulation in those two hormones. So ghrelin ramps up, which is makes you feel hungry. Leptin is suppressed, which means that when you do eat, you don't feel satisfied. Um, and you basically just get this net effect of having a huge increase in appetite. And on top of that, when you're sleep deprived, you crave carbs and sugars. So like, and I know, and I'm sure you felt oh, this, yeah. the later at night it is, the more you're like, where are the chips? Where's the shitty food? Because that's what I want to eat right now. And not only do you eat more of it because you're, you're um, you know, that, that leptin is suppressed, but you... And your ghrelin's ramped up. Like, it's just a perfect storm to, to basically just get fat. If you don't sleep, yeah. you have more time to eat. You look for shittier foods. And your hormones are pushing you to get fat. And you've already talked about the testosterone piece that plays into it, too. Other yeah, hormones that actually help, um, you know, build muscle mass and all of that. So, hormonally, it's a disaster. And that is feeding into, literally feeding into why you're getting potentially fatter and and even when you're underslept the body holds on to fat it thinks that there's like some sort of emergency it holds on it's reluctant to get rid of fat it holds on to fat it's like okay something is really bad's happening we're not recovering hold fat we might need this as an energy storage yeah so it's like all of these fronts and we just, need to talk about this because people there's this whole movement of of like fat shaming and everything and it's like okay fine yeah people need to stop um, that but nonsense it's it's a health conversation yeah and it, it's, exactly uh, and we need to be really good at doing justice to it and we need to take away the stigma of talking about it we need to talk yes, to each other about it i agree we need to talk to friends about it we need to talk yeah. to uh, doctors need to talk to patients about it therapists need to talk to patients about it um trainers we need to talk about this um in real terms in ways that don't create emotional reactivity again back to that but that actually address what needs to be addressed. And you need to be sensitive when you bring it up. Yes. In the sense of, you don't just go up to someone and say, hey, fatty. Like, yeah. You need to stop putting food in your mouth. No, you don't say that. But to not talk about how someone is basically morbidly obese, and that is the biggest threat in their life, way mm-hmm. more than their patellar pain, mm-hmm. to not talk about that as a health professional, That's you're not being effective. Yes. You're doing it. You're not helping that person in the most effective way possible to improve their health longevity but also their health span it's a that's a weird just a side note is like the fact that the the feelings have gotten us in the way of of us or of of health care practitioners being effective is weird i know and and it's like you can't tell and then everyone will attack you now for for like even on on social media for being in in it's just it's like no, no no we we need to like you say it's not a matter of as long as people know you're you're coming at it from a place of of care yeah. and you're there for them, that's the biggest piece. You're not there to make them feel bad, yeah, but people immediately trust. think that you're there to make them feel bad. So yeah. then it's a weird feeling thing again. So people have to know you're on their team. Yes. And if you're on their team, then guess what? The things that you say to someone that might be interpreted as harsh otherwise are literally things, you know, I'm telling you this cuz I care about you. I'm yeah. I'm here as someone that has 
done a lot more research and learned a lot more and deciphered through the world of health information so that I can distill out the best points and give them to you so that you don't have to do all that research because you're probably not going to. And, you know, I went to, I tried to go, I went to school to try and learn how to learn good information. Or maybe you just need somebody to talk to about this about, yeah. because maybe nobody else is talking to and you And maybe it. it's way deeper than just like, yeah. I remember, I can't remember what um, podcast it was. I think it was the guy who wrote Fight Club. Um, anyway, he, he basically, you know, there was this very, very overweight woman and, um, I think she went to her psychologist and, you know, the psychologist brought up her weight and basically they had this conversation and they realized that the root cause of why this lady overate and became obese was that when she was younger, she was sexually abused. And she quickly realized that by eating a lot of food and becoming overweight, she was less attractive to the person that was sexually abusing her. So her overeating was a coping strategy for trying to be safe from sexual abuse. This is a very deep pattern. Like this is not oh, just yeah. as simple as don't eat those donuts. It's like we have to pay respect to the fact that, you know, our relationship with food is messed up in 2019. All these big money companies are literally making it so hard to be healthy and eat real food because they're making shitty food really cheap, really available. And they're not getting, you know, no one's getting the education about how detrimental this stuff is to our health. So we have to be, yes, sensitive, but we cannot sidestep the fact that these are important conversations to have. And that as long as you care about someone, and you express that you should be able to give them health advice without feeling like you're going to hurt their feelings. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just exactly. these conversations have to be had and they're not being had. So, um, yeah sleep and you'll eat less shitty food um, and your appetite will be more regulated if you get a good night's sleep. So um, what are we at? We're at about 53 minutes. So I think a good place to go. Let's just talk about some sleep tips because mm -hmm. I think there's, you know, this why we sleep book is really good. It talks about, gives a lot of context to everything. And like I said, we're going to be building out um, sleep into our footner program curriculum and also putting it on the app in these little snippets. So it might be like a little blog or a soundbite or a podcast, whatever it is. But let's talk about, I got some sleep tips written down here. So these are things that are easily implementable that you can, you know, pick one or two of these and just start to implement them. And I think you'll, you'll notice big differences in, in your mood, in your appetite, in how you feel and how sick, how often you get sick, all this kind of stuff. So the first one is stick to a sleep schedule. So go to bed and wake up at the same time every day. We talked about before, set an alarm to go to bed. I always find it hilarious. People, you know, you're like, humans should be getting eight hours of sleep per night to function optimally and and let sleep do what it's supposed to do. People are like, well, how do you do that? Like, how do you get eight hours? It's like, it's really complex. Um, maybe take a pencil and write this down. You figure out when you need to wake up, you subtract eight hours, and guess what? You go to bed at that time. Yeah. And the... maybe you find it hard to get to sleep at the start, but give yourself the opportunity to get, it, to get an eight hour of sleep by just making sure you're in bed, not staring at screens eight hours before you have to wake up. That's it's not rocket science. Step. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another one he mentions is, you know, exercise is great, but don't exercise two hours before bedtime, right? Don't ramp the shit. Don't ramp your body up two hours before you're trying to get into the most relaxed state of the day, which is preparation for sleep. With back to the autonomic nervous system. Don't be in sympathetic state. Exactly. And that's a acute sympathetic state. We've already talked about the chronic sympathetic state. So uh, next one, avoid caffeine or nicotine within eight hours of bedtime. So if you still smoke cigarettes in 2019, you need to get on top of that. <laughs> okay, so let's just talk about caffeine. Caffeine is a half-life of seven hours. So that means that if I drink a cup of coffee, seven hours later, half of the caffeine is still circulating in my system. So, you know, I started with a uh, caffeine um, deadline each day of 1 p.m. And after listening to a recent podcast of Matthew Walker with Rhonda Patrick, I brought it down to 11 a.m. because I realized that I think it's still doing something to affect my ability to get to sleep. So put a deadline, put a, um, a time stamp on the latest time you're allowed to have caffeine. And, you know, as just like what I did, I started with 1, 1 p.m. because I would always have a coffee around noon. I just, I just, I like coffee, but I also like the feeling of getting that boost. And so I started at 1 p.m., then I went to noon, then I went to, now I'm at 11. So I just do my one in the morning now. Yeah. Uh, just like I'll have a large one um, at probably eight or mm -hmm. nine or something. I get a little naughty on weekends uh, <laughs> and I'll have one midday. But uh, but again, it feeds into the, the alcohol and coffee on weekends. I, I don't sleep as well on weekends, but yeah. I think that that helped me because I used to have one in the afternoon and I just, um, there you go. yeah. Um, avoid alcohol before you go to bed. Okay. And this is not a like all the time 
Um, don't guilt yourself if you do, but just be aware that alcohol robs you, especially of REM sleep. REM is a very important part of the sleep cycle. We're not, we'll get into the sleep cycle stages next time because I think it's a, it's a little bit more in depth, but, um, alcohol before bed, um, it's just be aware it's going to affect how you sleep. Uh, avoid large meals and drinking huge amounts of water late at night, right? So if you have a huge meal, your body's trying to digest, it can affect your ability to get to sleep. Uh, if you drink big amounts of water, you're going to get up in the middle of the night, potentially to go to the washroom, to go pee. And that interruption in your sleep can, can definitely, you know, some people find it hard to get back to sleep after they've woken up. Um, and just the fact that you have to wake up to interrupt kind of whatever sleep cycle you might be in can affect it. Uh, next one, relax before bed. So, you know, I've started to try more and more to create this like pre-bed ritual where I have like the certain sequence of things I do before I go to bed. I don't look at any screens for an hour before I go to bed. I try and read to kind of calm my mind. I'll read a book that, um, you know, just allows me to just kind of relax. Um, I'll lie down, I'll go horizontal, I'll decrease the light intensity. So instead mm -hmm. of putting on the, the light in the bedroom, I'll put the washroom light on with the door slightly closed so I can still see what I'm reading on the book, but it's a very, and this one I found was very powerful. When you are just surround yourself with lower light levels and you go kind of semi-horizontal um, and do something that doesn't involve a screen, like I just, it basically just zonks you into sleep mode. And mm -hmm. I found that was, for me, it was a really powerful one. Um, and that kind of ties into engineering your, there's only two more here. Engineer your bedroom for sleep success. So it should be dark. It should be cold. Right, so that you know the temperature Matthew Walker talks about is 65 Fahrenheit, which is 18 degrees Celsius. Um, and I've also started to do this in hotels more. Like hotels are easier to regulate the temperature, right? Because you have a thermostat in your room, you can adjust it. And I started to crank it down to 65. And number one, 65 is pretty damn cold. Yeah. Um, but it forces you to get right <laughs> right into the blankets, and it also I really think it's making me sleep more deeply. Um, so and then electronics free. That's part of engineering your sleep environment. Is just don't I've I just stopped doing this a while ago and it was so powerful. If the cell phone is beside you in bed, you're going to touch it and reach for it and try and go for Instagram yourself. You know, your motivation or your willpower only gets you so far. So not even bringing any screens into the bedroom, you know, this whole thing of people going through, if, you know, I would always see TVs in people's bedrooms. That is a shitty thing to have because mm -hmm. you're probably going to watch it if it's there. So not having screens in your bedroom, basically creating this thing in your brain that the bedroom is a place for sleep. It's not a place to watch, to look at screens. It's not a place for anything else. It's a place for sleep. And so as soon as you walk through that bedroom door at night, your brain should say, we're entering the sleep zone. Essentially, yeah. that's what you're trying to do. Um, and then the last one, I think this was very powerful and I've I've used this a few times and I found it crazy beneficial. I don't know about you, but have you, have you had some nights where you get in bed and you're like, you're tired, so you go to bed, you get in bed and you're just wired. Like you're, mm. you can't sleep, your brain is going, your brain's going around in circles. You're thinking about what you got to do tomorrow or next week or something in your life. Um, and what Matthew Walker said is don't lie in bed awake to, you know, get out of bed, go into a different room, uh, in low light and maybe read a book or, or breathe or meditate or whatever it is. Um, but train your body to acknowledge the bedroom as a place for sleep and not a place to be wired. And I think that's when I first heard him say that, I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Like you can't, well, you've got to prime yourself for sleep, yeah. which is, and I remember Jeff, something he said when we were in uh, LA, he, he said that it's not, I think he, he's like, I don't sleep. I don't not sleep anymore. Um, or I don't get bad sleeps anymore because it's not worth it. And, and that's basically priming yourself and saying like nothing, like it's not going to help my situation. Even if I'm thinking about something bad going on in my life right now to mm -hmm. get a poor sleep, it's just going right. to compound it. So it's like knowing like, even though that's going on, I'm almost priming myself to be like, at least I can sleep now. And then if you even, I mean, it's easier said than done, but it's something that if you get better and better at just telling yourself like, this is the time to sleep, I'll deal with this tomorrow. And it's back to that classic uh, wisdom is just like, everything will be better tomorrow. And it really is. But um, this priming thing and maybe doing that outside of your bedroom being like, this is the time that we need to sleep. Yeah. So we're all good. Um, Cause, and, and sometimes it'll be inevitable, but I, I think that's huge. And I've started doing that more. And it's almost like you're giving yourself the treat of sleep. You're like, yeah. that was a long day, but I at agree. least I get to sleep now. Yeah. Prioritize it and just make like mentally prioritize yeah. it. And that's a good, that's a good, uh, I like that. It's just mentally prioritizing. Like 
the thing I'm overthinking right now is in no way, shape or form more important than having sleep. So I'm just going to give myself permission to not think about that. And I find that writing stuff down, like a lot of times I'll, I'll leave the bedroom. I'll go find, I'll have like a pad and paper and I'll write things down. And by writing it down, it basically is like my brain saying, okay, you're not going to forget about this. You can stop ruminating on it. You're, you have permission to sleep. And I found that was helpful as well. Um, so anyway, we hope that was a good primer for everyone to just kind of understand sleep, you know, the, what sleep is for the consequences of poor sleep and how to just improve, um, your ability to get a good night's sleep. And like we said, when we build out this app, we are really going to do our best to create little snippets of content in whatever, in multiple different forms. So audio written and video to give people at least the tools and at least give health professionals a platform they can refer to and believe in. It's going to be free. We're going to do our best to constantly improve the content and just give people the ability to create a system and get the knowledge they need so that they can prioritize sleep. Because before, and I'm sure you're the same, before we, I knew how, before I knew how important sleep was, I never really gave, I never really mm. prioritized it. I never, I never gave a shit about it. Um, and now I really do. And now, you know, like the first time I read that Why We Sleep book was on our way to China when we went in March. And like the first thing I wanted to do when we land was call both my parents and be like, you better, you better be getting eight hours because I don't want to take care of you, of, of you with dementia mm-hmm. in 20 years. And I, you know, I think that was profound, you know, tell all, learn about sleep. It affects you. Tell all your friends and family, be the annoying person that always talks about sleep because guess what? That message will sink through and you will improve people's lives. And as a health professional, inform yourself about sleep. And even at a base level, I don't care if you're a physical therapist, massage therapist, um, a personal trainer, especially a physician, inform yourself about sleep. Our goal is to provide you that information eventually with the app. And um, anyway, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.